Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph. Over the course of the next hour, we'll be hearing from Tom May, Shane Byrne, Nicky Robinson and Maggie Alfonsi to get their views on the latest news and action from the weekend where it was Europe all the way. But first, I'm joined here in the studio by former Scotland and Lions fly half, Craig Chalmers. Craig, how are you? Evening, Brian. Very well, thank you. What did you think of the opening weekend of the Champions and Challenge European Rugby Cups? It's been interesting. You know, I think uh, some of the big names, you know, the... The, the Leinsters, the Wasps, who have got great pedigrees in Europe, uh, you know, mixed fortunes. I thought Leinster had a fantastic win. Um, you know, again, Leinster, who they, they were playing against, uh, Montpellier, who I think are a really, really strong outfit and uh, really one of the favourites for this tournament this year. So, you know, they got off the great start. Um, it was, you know, it was good to see Saracens, you know, they were very impressive. They're just getting better game by game and they've not lost in Europe for something like. 18 games I, I, th- I thought overall the quality was good um, there were some exciting games albeit in certain cases by default because you know defences went uh, missing but uh, for the tournament as a whole I think it was a good advertisement for European club rugby and it needed it needs to be because I think since it was changed the format slightly from the Heineken people uh, especially I think the, the, the a lot of Irish fans have not really taken to it but I think that uh, over the weekend, we saw what you can do, and the old adage of you can't win the tournament in the first couple of uh, rounds, but you can lose your challenge is is even more true now. And I was interested because I think what Europe gives you above the three domestic leagues, which are you know a good quality in the hard rugby, it gives sides challenges that they don't meet. They all know each other really well now in those competitions. They do a lot of work, and these. Uh, fixtures throw up things they're not familiar with and you can see which teams have the capability to adapt and work things out and which don't and accordingly which succeed and, 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 and which fail. I think it's great for the players to, to get out of the domestic competition and get into Europe. I think it's more exciting. They travel away you know, to you know, maybe the south of France, which is obviously tough, but it's exciting. It's a challenge and players want to play against the top teams in the toughest uh, you know arenas of all, and there's some tough ones out there, like so, you know, Lenethley, Scarlets going down to Toulon at the weekend, and just about you know very very close to getting that victory. Um, so you know it's, it's great for the players, it's exciting for the players to get that level of competition. But I think if you look at, you've got to win your home games. You must win your home games. Yep. And if you can nick a game away from home, then you've got a really good chance of qualifying out of your pool because those pools are tough. There's no easy pools in there. 
And even you got, you know, you got Bennett and Treviso, you know, really going well under Michael Bennett Bradley. Bennett played quite well, actually, didn't they? Oh, fantastically. And I watched the highlights of it, and, you know, they, they got stopped by uh, Rotanaguni, the, the bath winger, on two occasions, two dead certain tries. They were stopped. So they had 58% of possession in that game, and they, have, they looked really dangerous. And, you know, Michael Bradley's done a fantastic job uh, since he's gone down there. Well, we'll discuss um, the individual fixtures in detail with the guests. Let's move on to other uh, topical issues. Uh, in particular, Wales seem to be dominant because um, they've got injuries over the weekend. North Baker, Webb, all injured. Don't know how bad they are yet, but um, Autumn International's coming up and they've got a significant uh, fixture list of Wales this time. So they, we'll, I suppose we'll see... If they're not available, how strong the squad is? Can they cope with that? Yeah, I think they can. There's some quality players, especially in the scrum half position. I think uh, Webb is a great player and, you know, excellent for the Lions in the summer. But I think, uh, you know, they've got a depth. And I think the Scarlets, you know, if they, can, if they could try and encapsulate the way that the Scarlets are playing this season, if they can play with that adventure, that, uh, you know, that, that uh, you know, attacking flair um, hopefully you know not hopefully I'm a Scotsman but uh, you know I think they can they can really set set, set the Ottoman Nationals alight and, and really they've got a tough but they've got three the big three supposedly you know Australia, New Zealand South Africa so they've got a tough fixture list ahead I tell you what's interesting to me that you know the centre partnership for the Scarlets in particular Williams you know they seem to me to play a different way when they play for the club than they do when they play internationally that's to do with the coaching, I think. And then, you know, Stephen Jones is down at uh, the Scarlets and doing a fantastic job from what I can gather. Um, you know, great feedback from the guys that I know that support the team. Um, they're playing some brilliant rugby. And I think that's down to the coaches and how, you know, how they want to play the game, their philosophy on, on the game. And uh, also, you know, Stephen Jones obviously fantastic number 10 and they can also help out with decision-making. I think a guy that's playing 10 for them at the moment, Rhys Patchell, is really pushing for that Welsh squad and you know I think come come the the squad being announced the next week or so I think he'll be right in the mix for ten and they're talking about maybe maybe at twelve. Well, an amendment also to what was known as Gatlin's Law, which allowed previously um, the head coach to pick only four players at clubs outside Wales to play for the national side. That's now been amended to a policy in line with that uh, model by Australia, where. If you've got 60 caps um, and have played domestic rugby for seven years, you can be selected regardless of where you play. Uh, if you haven't, then you can't. This doesn't apply, I understand, to players who've already got contracts and are playing out there, so they're exempt. But uh, it will catch uh, players from the inception of the policy, and that looks like it will include uh, Webb. Reese Webb, the who is a you know he's a f- fantastic player. He's played so well. Um, I can. Conf- uh, th- what do you think of the overall policy? First of all, I think it's a, a, a out clause for for Gatlin to be able to get a few guys involved. The four guys that they did, you know, the four guys that they had that they could were allowed to pick from out with the out with their own country. Um, well, was a was a, another way of just getting the two or three the top quality yeah. players that were outside back in. Um, there's no way, no way in the world that they will let Reese Webb be outside that bracket. They've got to do something to make sure that he is inside that bracket and that he can play for Wales. Well, they've already started... <laughs> this is what you do when you get lawyers involved. They've already started exploring this and uh, discussing um, 
whether or not his contract uh, to go to Toulon is uh, a contract or whether it's a pre-agreement. Um, a pre-agreement, they're saying, well, once it's signed, it's binding. But before that, with a pre-agreement, both parties can potentially walk away. So if we class it as a pre-agreement and not a contract, then uh, that doesn't apply. And I, I can see that law being bent slightly. And uh, the, 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 the thing is, as I know, being a former lawyer, Depending on what instructions you send to a QC or a count, you know, counsel, you can get a, a favourable or you can get a, a, an opinion back, an advice back that is broadly in line with what you want. So I'm sure that uh, it will be very heavily slanted in that direction. I'm sure they'll find a loophole somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think that the, the law itself is a, good, is a good law because it makes you stay for a certain amount of time, makes you contribute to the domestic league, the products and so on. 60 caps, you can now get reasonably quickly. I think seven years is quite a long time, but uh, then you can get your payoff if you want a big contract um, in France or Japan when you've, you know, fulfilled your obligations to your nation. So I think that's a good, that's a, I think that's a reasonable compromise. No, I think it's, I think it's good. I think the players have stayed and you know, developed the game in their country for so long. If they get a chance to go abroad and, and you know, just experience a different culture, um, play in a different team, you know, improve the, you know, the, the, the you know the, the whole vision of um, of rugby and how it's played. So you know I, I totally agree. I think it's I think it's a it's a good opportunity, but it's but I think it's also I think it's also good for the uh, for for the youngsters. You know to to stay in the country as long yeah. as they can to develop and give them as much as they can before something for Scotland to. Uh... Um, I think the Scots actually not only over the years I've actually encouraged a lot of the guys to go abroad. Um, Especially some of the big name players, um, it takes a little bit of money off the wage bill. It can, <laughs> <laughs> they're a bit tight, um, but it, it does. And, it, and I think Scottish players were encouraged to go. To you know, people like Gregor Townsend, they were encouraged to go away and, and play at Northampton, these kind of places. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and, and Scottish players have done pretty well. Yeah. And I mean, Welsh players, you know. Over the years, some of the two have got pretty homesick. Yeah. You know, we know what like on, on Lions tours. They <laughs> yeah. do get a bit homesick on Lions tours. So, you know, living in a country, different language, that's a tough part. But I think it's getting a bit easier now be- just because of the fact that there's more foreigners, there's more new Kiwis, Aussies, South Africans and Fijians. Yeah, fair point. Um, let's move on to um, a hot topic at the moment. We raised it actually three weeks ago and there have been uh, various... Uh, Sequelae to that, including you know documentaries and and uh, and so on, about injuries, not just concussion, but injuries in general. Players having to retire earlier, uh, players picking up more significant injuries. The injury rate going up. I think uh, eight over the weekend, eighty-two Premiership players were injured and unavailable. Um, I have my own thoughts on on this, but it's a it's a subject that I don't think without some sort of action is going to go away. No, I don't think it is. I think the players are, you know, the bigger, they're stronger, they're more dynamic than, than they ever used to be. And, uh, you know, the game is in play for longer. The game stopped sometimes a little bit bit longer. There, you know, a lot of video refs and there's a lot of stops for, uh, you know, HIAs, all that kind of stuff. So there are a few breaks in the play, but the ball is, you know, in play longer. And if that is the case, then... People are going to get, you know, more contacts, more contacts. And the big, you know, I think they've done an awful lot. And I love rugby, the fact that it does look at all the bits and pieces and they get the top coaches and the top players and discuss it. 
and you know where it can improve, where it can make it safer, but where it can improve the game. And, and rugby's always been a, a leading light in development of that. So I think they'll they'll find a way, um, definitely. But I think it's you know players are getting. I mean, look at the Wasps have been devastated by injury. Quins as well. A lot of most teams, and it's. You know the ones that it's the ones that can sort of steer clear of injury that might be there or thereabouts at the end of the season. Well, people listening to that and hearing us discuss it will make the point. Listen, in your day, and it was nowhere near the intensity and so on. And absolutely true, mm. players were nowhere near as big. I mean, you know, had they had the development programs uh, they got now, they would have been. But the fact is, it wasn't. However, the big difference, and I remain to be convinced otherwise, is that if you allow nearly half a team to be substituted every game and you get six, seven, five fresh players on for 20, 30, maybe, you know, 35 minutes, you've got a number of players who are playing a full eight who are naturally tired because of the workload and they're against players who are specifically, in many cases, conditioned for impact play, they're allowed to carry more weight uh, and bulk because they only need it for a certain amount of time, and that creates a physical imbalance, the risks of which cannot be anything other than, you know, injurious to health. Yeah, you bring a player on for 10 minutes, end of a game, to play against a player who's been on for 70 minutes, maybe struggling a little bit, you know, but they can't make any more substitutions because they've used them all up or whatever. The other situation there where you may get a contact and they may just get a bit lazy with their, their tackle position and it could be a serious, a, you know, a serious collision. Um, but it's a physical game and, and you know, players are going to have, to have to adapt as much as possible from that. I mean, just looking back, at, and then we've got to look back slightly when we played, we only went off if we were actually really struggling. The, well, you weren't the, allowed the, to the come coach, unless yeah, and, and put it like this, if you were injured, you would not be coming off because you didn't want the guy on the bench to come on and and, uh, yeah. and play well. So <laughs> yeah. so it was it was a little bit like that as well. But I think nowadays, you know, the you know, the medical side of it, the, the science behind it all, um, you know, there are a lot of injuries, Um but it's, it's unavoidable. It's unavoidable. It's unavoidable in the present context. It is. But my point would, would, would be that, I mean, today's uh, players would, would say, listen, you cannot expect us in certain positions, uh, front row especially, you know, to cope with the present workload and the present number of tackles and, and impacts we're making now uh, for 80 minutes. And my point is, no, but what we would ask you to do is... If you had to play for 80 minutes, you wouldn't be because, you know, you'd have to carry a different type of fitness, probably a different, slightly different body shape. And, uh, you know, but at least everyone would be of a standard tiredness because you'd all be playing on the same playing field. You wouldn't have um, an opposite number who suddenly came on who was, you know, completely fresh. And, and by the way, might have been uh, specifically conditioned only to have that 20, 25 minutes and, you know, go flat out and, uh, you know, with the... The resultant um, impact and, and bulk. I mean, it's such a difficult, difficult one to manage, to be honest with you. It really is difficult. And you look at that poor, I can't remember the name of the guy, the, the Leinster winger last weekend who was playing as Nandolo. And I think he had seven or eight tackle attempts against him. Every time he went in low and hard, but he got knocked off seven out of eight. But, you know, that's an accident waiting to happen. And, and, and it's just a different size of body. I mean, Nandolo was twice his size. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, move the discussion on and we can involve 
other voices to give a fresh perspective. I'm really pleased to say we can have an Irish perspective now from Shane Byrne, the former Leinster Saracens Island and Lions hooker. Shane, hello. Hey, Brian. How are you doing, bud? I'm evening, okay. Evening, Shane. Nice, nice to hear from hey, you. Hey, Jack. How are you doing, buddy? You survived oh, New well. Zealand to your bike ride with the Lions? I did, yes. We're, we're in the process of trying to survive the hurricane over here. <laughs> oh, at the moment. oh, right. Good, <laughs> so, good, good luck with that. That's the biggest trial we have. Thank you. Uh, over the weekend, um, a good win for, for Leinster. I actually thought before the game that uh, Montpellier, you know, might nick that. But I thought in the end, Leinster looked reasonably comfortable. Good game management. Yeah, that, that's probably the best way of putting it. Uh, Montpellier, uh, Leinster seemed to certainly attract playing against the big money sides over over in France. And as we know, in recent years, Montpellier are one of them making a huge amount of purchases, some huge, huge names there. And then they got the added hit of Sexton and O'Brien not being able to make the starting team. But the young lads really stood up. It, it was just managed. As you said, the game was managed well. They took their opportunities when they got it. There's one thing that has to be mentioned in the game, which is a worry for Leinster, is that they missed a huge amount of tackles. I think it was something like 24 tackles, which we all know you're not going to win any silverware missing that amount of tackles in a game. But they still got through the game. They worked, the set-piece worked reasonably well. And a lot of the young guys really stood up to be counted, which is a great thing to see. I thought Robbie Henshaw had a great game, uh, Shane, I thought he did, he did one tackle one time. He actually knocked off. He got knocked off. He got back, made the tackle, got to his feet. Actually, came through the contact area and ripped the ball off the scrum half. Yeah, I that per- was perfectly through the gate. Yeah, it yeah, was perfect. It was, it was Nadolo as you were. It was Nadolo again, just running over people. But Henshaw is. I really do think this kid, like he's almost people seem to forget. Like he's because he's been with Ireland a couple of seasons now. But he's only a young lad. But his determination is is. Absolutely tremendous. His work rate is huge, and a lot of it's very unassuming. Yeah, and but that a, was a great instant yeah, where he got pulled off and just kept going. Bit of chat about maybe playing thirteen for Ireland in the autumn internationals. Is that a, is that a possibility? Do you think? Well, he was he was a thirteen. Would you believe his favourite position is fifteen, which we never ever see him playing? And then he was playing thirteen the whole time. And he, when he moved to Leinster, he was playing thirteen with Connacht, and he moved to Leinster. Ringrose was thirteen. So he had to play 12, and therefore 12 has become his Irish position as well. But that that guy can play 13, absolutely zero issue at all with that. He has the physicality down to a T, defence-wise, and he has a, a cute little bit of a break on him as well. Uh, what about uh, Munster? Um, I suppose you'd say a good uh, result getting a draw away at Castro? Yeah, uh, you would say if you were just looking at the, the results, you go, yeah, fair result. Get going down to France, the depths of France, and getting away with two points. Happy days on that group, but my God, it was ugly. It was really, really ugly. <laughs> they, they, there were so many things that, like they, they worked brilliantly, got themselves in front with it. I think it was about twelve minutes to go, and then they just seemed to go asleep. And there was a sin bin, and uh, Troy scored, and then they ended up defending for their dear lives right at the end. And there was a penalty missed by Cast and the drop goal that would have lost them the game. So, yes, you're dead right. Uh, good result to get when you look at the, the the history books. God, it was messy. A lot of a lot of simple errors, and and the brand of rugby they were playing has has not been what exactly. They can't settle on a ten. It looks like they can't really figure out what way they want to play there, and uh, they've had a few injuries which has upset them. But look, as you say, going down to France, getting two points, not a bad thing in the in the way the European Cup is now or the Champions Cup. 
Yeah, I think you're spot on there. I think they were very lucky to get away with that little uh, knocking the ball at the scrum half's hands at the end. The referee was yeah. very, 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 uh, very, very generous there to the, to the Munster boys. But that that pedigree, you know, the pedigree that Munster have, um, you know, shines through once again. And to get two points down in Castro, who are a good side uh, down there, and obviously playing at home and in front of them fans, they're, they're difficult to beat. So I think that's a massive positive for Munster, and hopefully they'll take that on to the next uh, next home game. Yeah, huge man. And then it's it's again they're with Racing again. Uh, they've them next week, and it's all in around. This is the two weekends with the Anthony Foley. Uh, it's been a year, which is incredible to think. But uh, they'll be it'll be a very emotional weekend back at home next weekend. So they're in good shape. Listen, all we all know that the pools are very very tight right the way through the Champions Cup now, and to get two points away from home, you'll take that. Well, Ulster, I've uh, got a. A significant challenge away at La Rochelle, but uh, they dispatched Warsaw. Although on the scoreboard it's 19-9, they, I, they, I think they were more comfortable than that was at the moment. Yeah. You know, for all the quality they've got, and they have got quality, just not quite uh, clicking. No, it's incredible. Like it, it's, I, you can correct me on this. I think that's Wasp's fifth loss on the trot. It is. I think. Yeah, like that's how long would you have to go back? Their history books. Well, fair that. way, and, fair way. Yeah, and and you know it, it's they really are just wrapped with injuries, and, and that just shows that the depth in the squad that they probably hoped was there probably isn't. And mm-hmm. Ulster, you know, they've started the season very well. They've been going. They've only lost one game so far, and um, there's a real star in the making coming up from there. Young Stockdale on the wing. He's got five out of the last five man the matches for Ulster. Absolutely unbelievable performances. He's just. He's a big unit out in the wing and he has a real, real nose for a try and he's making it to good effect. And they're really, they're playing good rugby. They're, they're, they're still not the complete piece. They've been very disappointed at how they've been for the last couple of years. It's been a long time since they've even got out of the group and that's something that they're really battling hard to get to this stage, to get back into getting into the knockout stages. So, yeah, right foot forward, plenty of challenge ahead. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I really, I really, really like uh, Stockdale, uh, Shane. I think uh, the yeah. backline is powerful as well. It's, it's quick, it's powerful. There's a bit of invention there as well. And, you know, I think they're, they're capable of scoring lots of good tries. You know, lo- there's a lot of tries in that backline. And if they can get enough ball from the forwards, um, if they can generate a good quick ball, then I think that they'll have a real chance in, in Europe this year. Yeah, but that is the thing. When you're looking at the team, like there, there's very little, like you're going from Klusky to Marshall, loads of experience there. Piatau at full back like these guys have serious serious experience and are, are as you were saying they really know how to score tries and that should serve them well if they can just get a pack that can match all the others and they're doing well they still have Rory Best and guys like that to come back they have their own injury worries so so far so good for Ulster but they've done this before they've started season brilliantly and then fallen miserably so just one step at a time is the way they're going to be looking at it. Uh, of the up-and-coming fixtures in the Champions Cup for the Irish sides, um, Leinster, slightly tricky, away at Glasgow, and Glasgow need after going down to uh, Exeter. Uh, yeah. you know, Glasgow, it's a, it's a vital game for them. You lose two, including a home one, and your chances uh, are virtually over. So they're going to be fairly desperate. Um, do you think Leinster can see that off? Uh, do you know what? That is one of the hardest games I see in the next round because Glasgow have been absolutely on fire in the Pro 14 in the in the domestic league. They have been playing fantastic rugby and a brilliant brand of rugby. 
really throwing it about, taking every opportunity that they have, and it, it, that's going to be a ding-dong battle. Like we say, I say that Leinster would take, if they got what the result Munster got this weekend, they would take that away from Glasgow to get any points over there, particularly when they're smarting and Glasgow really need to go well. If Leinster make a statement, if they come away with full points, well, then you've really got to sit up and watch them. Yeah, as you say, Shane, it's a tough place to go, Glasgow, just now, and six out of six in the Pro 12. But I think the yeah. big the big thing last week, and I think uh, Dave Rennie talked about it a little bit after the game. Um, I think they maybe got decision-making a little bit wrong in, in that game. They were maybe didn't kick, didn't kick quite enough for position and territory. And yeah. I think that's you know, when it's slippy and wet and you know it's getting a bit colder now, uh, a bit wetter, a bit damper, and, and you know it's harder to, to handle that ball. Glasgow are very much a handling, you know, playing from anywhere yeah. on the pitch. And I think that uh, they got it wrong. They got it wrong last weekend. But I think it, it, this weekend's massive for them. They they've got to get a win on the board. Um, I think they will. But I think it'll be a tight game. I think Leinster will come across and they'll have a real go as well. And they'll, they'll ask Glasgow questions. Yeah, particularly if this the, we get a couple of the big weeks back. If O'Brien and Sexton make the starting team again, by all accounts, that is what's happening. And it'll certainly bolster their side uh, with that little bit more experience. But yeah, Glasgow have that, as you're saying, that great brand of rugby that we saw Scarlets play at the end of last season. Yeah, Connacht did it the year before, but you you have to manage that during the weather. When it starts getting slippy and cold, as you're saying, you can't play that brand of rugby. Territory has to come in when the weather is bad. You just get down there and then you can play all the rugby you want. Just get yourself out of your half. Well, Shane, um, keep your head down. Don't go outside. I think that's the official uh, <laughs> the warning from the tea shop, isn't it? Don't go outside unless you have to, OK? Your, your hair might be Yeah, off. correct, correct. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Not a chance of that. <laughs> Good Thank you, mate. Bye-bye. Okay, now we can speak to someone who can give a, well, not just an English perspective, but because he played for Toulon, the former Falcons, Saints, Toulon, London, Welsh and England winger Tom May can give us a French perspective. Hello, Tom. Hi, fellas. How are we doing? Um, we've seen uh, something strange in Europe um, over the weekend. We've seen French sides playing away from home who seem to uh, to care about it. Yeah, they look like they're fancy at this time, didn't they? Yeah. Um, I thought especially impressive were La Rochelle. I think they've been they've been doing really well this season so far in the top fourteen, and really exciting side to watch. Their ability and intention to play from from deep, um, and you look at the amount of carries they had compared to Quinn's at the weekend, eighty seven against one hundred and seventy two, and yeah. just with thirty six percent possession, and they managed to come away with a result like that. That's a fantastic effort. Well, um, the uh, centre, Geoffrey uh, Dumaru, I don't know how you know close he is for the international, but I mean, he, 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 I thought he was he was sensational in his you know not just in his carries, but his all round play and defensive as well. Yeah, he cuts good lines, and he's almost a classic French centre. Um, you know, I, I like the way he he plays the games. But but also I think the problem for him is that they've got a lot of good French centres at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you look look towards um, Racing, but also also Claremont. They've got um, some fantastic centres in their ranks, and that's causing Dumeru a bit of a problem. Um, that said, I, I think also last year he probably you know being at La Rochelle, it, it's almost um, a very untraditional side that that, that French players come from. Mm-hmm. So I think he probably had to fight that battle a bit. But certainly he'll be on the radar after you know two. Tries against Quinns this weekend. Um, Clement Auvergne, I, I, I mean, it's a win. It's an away win, which is significant. 
Uh, Osprey's not been playing that well in the uh, Pro 14. I, I, and in the end, they, they, you know, they, they, they probably, um, well, they would say they missed a number of chances. Um, I, I don't think Claremont were, I think they were probably one of the least impressive of the French sides. I, 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 I tell you what, I, I can see with the, the French sides, with the example of La Rochelle, I genuinely think they're trying to expand the game yeah. away from the you know, huge directness of Toulon, which was so successful two or three seasons ago. Would that be fair? I think so. I think La Rochelle are changing the way that the the French style it has been over the past few years. It's all about being kick, kick chase, applying pressure and then, and then feeding off mistakes that teams make. Um, Claremont have traditionally been associated with that sort of um, open and expansive style of play. They haven't quite clicked at times this season, certainly within the top 14 that's been the case. Um, but when they do click, they are a force to be reckoned with. And, you know, you look at their back three, any back three that they field um, is absolutely terrifying, um, especially with Racker on the wing at the moment. He's been sensational and scored another fantastic try at the weekend. Yeah. Um, I think if you look at the La Rochelle, Claremont, and at times Ratting, I think the way they're trying to play the game, it's sort of leaving... Um, the likes of Toulon behind slightly. Mm-hmm. Montpellier can mix it up as well. They've got power and an ability to to play a slightly more expansive game, which is which is quite exciting to watch. Um, but Toulon have really got to sort of kick themselves into gear, I think. Well, as a former Saint, um, I suppose before um, yesterday, the uh, expectation was that they'd turn the corner. I mean, but how much of Saracen's huge win was down to uh, them just playing exceptionally well uh, or, you know, Northampton Saints being just off the pace? I think it's probably a mixture of the two. There's probably a fair few um, ghosts in the closet as well from that first weekend of the Premiership for, for the Saints. Um, you know, they have performed fairly well since that game at Twickenham um, and you just feel like Saracens have probably found something in the way that Saints defend or the way that they play that they've you know they know exactly how to unpick that and they clearly showed that the weekend but having said that I think some of the tries you know the, the final two three four phases of those scores there was some pretty weak defending there from, from some of those Saints defenders and, and that will upset certainly Jim Mallander and, um, and Dorian West when they go back through the through the clips and try and assess how they can improve um, not easy for them because they then back it up on an away trip to Claremont Hi Tom, it's Craig Chalmers here. How you hey doing? Craig, how you doing? Yeah, you alright? Good mate, good. I thought it was a real weakness in the in the midfield of uh, Northampton. I thought they were, you know, like Brad Barrett, for example, made yards very, very easily. I know he's, he's out of England squad at the moment, but he got over that gain line far, far too easily for my for my for my liking. What do you think about that? Do you? Well, I think I think some of it is. I mean, the defence in that first game of the Premiership was clearly all over the shop. Um, and it, it just seems to me, you, you know, you can't then fix that overnight and then have a run of games where you start to perform better. Um, and you know, as, as well as most, um, Craig, when, when, you, when you're in the back foot or when you're struggling up front to get parity, which, you know, at times I think um, Saints were over the weekend, it's so difficult to defend that area. And, you know, Piers Francis has come back in off, off a long injury. Um, it, it's all about 
um, partnerships and working working together in little units. And certainly, he won't have had very long to work within that midfield unit with with Saints. You know, Stephen Myler was back in the mix as well. He's been out with a long injury, um, so they've clearly got to work on that and to work on that very quickly because they're coming up against the side in in Claremont that. Will, be licking their lips at tearing that apart again. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's some of the you know obviously communication, new partnership as you say, some of the invention that was shown by Saracens, the lines of running and support lines were were unbelievable. And I think that's the best, probably the best, more, most complete Saracens performance I've seen yet. And it's terrifying, isn't it? It is. It is. It was. <laughs> they've won it for the past two years, and they look like they've pretty much fancy it for this year as well. I've seen them a few times this season within the Premiership, and they've literally torn sides apart. Admittedly, um, in one or two of those games, certainly against Sale, um, there wasn't a huge amount of defence, but. Um, you know, just classic lines from outside backs. That line from Liam Williams to cut inside uh, the Saints' fullback was brilliant and almost went in untouched. And I think, um, yeah, and I think uh, Owen Farrell for me he just looks like he's getting better and better every game. You know, and and they, and you know what? The best thing for me about Saturday was that little little elbow that he that he gave. I know it's not a part of the game, but. <laughs> He's still got that little bit of edge about him that it's not been totally taken away yeah. because you know he, he's tough. He put on massive hitting, combined hit on corner laws. I mean, Flyhouse making tackles like that. What's that all about? <laughs> you would have fancied that, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, certainly he's been he's been fantastic in certain. I think. Um, it was Mark McCall, I think, that said, um, you know, this is his best performance for a number of months. And when you when you think about um, the level that Owen Farrell's been playing at, that's that's some statement to make. So, you know, I think he's at the crux of everything good that Saracens do. And, and I think, you know, with their two centres as well, you mentioned them before, Brad Barrett, uh, Marcelo Bosch, they don't necessarily do all the really flash stuff. They just do the, the little things time and time again. They just do them brilliantly. Well, I, I think, you know, Kelvin Wiles is a, you know, an example for me. Not particularly big, not out and out, you know, a speedster, but just a really good footballing brain. Makes ground however uh, he needs to, makes the most of whatever space he's got. And throughout the side, you've got players who appear uh, generally to know exactly what they're doing. But not only that, um, instinctively, you know, people like Ezekwe, very young, just come in, knows when to commit to moles, when to pick up and drive, when not to, you know, and and can handle, you know, they can handle as well. And, um, you know, if they keep developing, you know, they keep on in this mode, they are, of all the sides, they haven't, they haven't got the out-and-out bulk of French sides, but certainly as... Uh, players of you know of the game, rugby players, they are you know probably um, the equal, if not better than 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 any of them. Yeah, and I think we've sort of seen an evolution, haven't they? Haven't we within professional rugby, where whereby we went sort of into the into the early days of professionalism, then players ended up spending way too many hours in the gym and became almost robots and we're now sort of coming around the other side and we're getting athletes and and real um, ball players no matter that whether you're wearing number one on your back or number 15 and I think that means that the the actual 
product of professional rugby is becoming far more attractive to watch. You know, look at, look at Mako Vinopola. He, he's equally adept in that sort of 13 channel as he is carrying the ball in those close quarters. And it's the same with all of those players within that Saracens rank. And you, you look at um, Nakarawa at Racing. Uh, it's so brilliant to watch. Not, not, doesn't, it sort of breaks the mould of, of what second rows should, should be doing. Um, you know, you can just imagine coaches pulling their hair out at times but certainly makes it exciting to watch and it's it, it sort of opens up those channels you know in in what we have seen are, are really tight defenses or should be tight defenses uh, we haven't really uh, touched on the challenge cup yet but given you're a former falcon it's the ideal opportunity to do so um newcastle's form in the premiership has been good uh, and i'm sure you're pleased with what you've seen the and a home win 32-27 over the Dragons. Can they uh, make a lot of progress? Can they win the Challenge Cup? I think it's probably their their best opportunity this year to, to come away with silverware. And I think they've got a genuine opportunity. I think it's a competition they're, they're capable of winning. Um, and, you know, we've seen... We've seen sides traditionally do well in this competition um, that, that, that give it the respect it deserves. Yes. Um, and I think... You know, Newcastle will have highlighted that. Uh, you know, what a what a brilliant opportunity for for Dave Walder in his first year as head coach to turn around and go right. Well, that's going to be our main main focus of silverware. You know, I've got no doubt they'll do well in the Premiership this season. I think probably top six is is what they should be aiming for. If things go their way, go their way, and they have one or two results um, go their way that, that perhaps people might not think that they might end up in the top four but that's probably too far this season but I think the Challenge Cup is a genuine opportunity for them to, to really you know, come, come home with some silverware and have had a fantastic season Thanks Tom it's great to see that um, Newcastle are doing so well and the backline functioning, functioning so well Dave Walder's doing a great job down there but I see Toby, Toby Flood was playing on uh, Saturday first game was it his first game back for, the, for Newcastle? First game back yeah I I was, I was talking earlier on. Actually, the first time I saw him was a couple of weeks ago in uh, in the afternoon, just before they played London Irish. He had his his feet on the table, drinking a uh, cup of coffee, watching the British Masters. I was like, Man, well, surely, surely you should be out there. Uh, he, you know, he's he's been injured, um, but certainly, you know, great to see him in the centre with with Mermots and and you know the the fact that Newcastle can now field those two as well as probably two or three others in the centre there that are a genuine handful I think that's a really exciting proposition for them well Tom thanks very much for this uh, you're doing great work on the uh, core comms for the top 14 by the way thank you very much OK I think we can now uh, speak to Nicky Robinson former Cardiff Gloucester was Bristol on your fly half and Wales obviously now the Blues kicking coach are you there Nicky? Evening guys how are you doing? Um, Hi there um, I tell you what if you give a try away in the first four five minutes an interception try uh, especially if it happens to be uh, at Toulon you're going to make it hard for yourself aren't you? Yeah no they did I think the first 20 minutes generally made it a bit hard for themselves Scarlett I've I've been lucky enough to watch them a bit this year, and they've been they've been excellent. Um, and part of the reason is that in attack they've kept the ball so well, and possibly at times even against Ulster away in the league where they lost, they were um, criticised for overplaying a little bit and not actually kicking the ball. Whereas in that first twenty minutes, he's too long. There was 
there were three times when they had decent possession and they just kicked the ball away and it was very and, and scarlet's like as if they were uh, a bit daunting by by the prospect of playing such a big physical side and want to play a bit of field position and that first half just really went against them and I think maybe it's set at half time the message was look let's let's be more like we have been all year which is kept ball and and look dangerous and, and that's what they did and and look it was to come out second half and and probably should have won the game is yeah. thing is a big opportunity missed for them. Yeah, we, I was uh, commenting earlier on, I think uh, Craig agreed with me. I'd be interested in your point of view. The centre pairing, Jonathan Davis and Scott Williams, you know, both internationals, and they, they seem to me to play a different way for um, their club from the country. Is that simply a coaching uh, matter? Uh, yeah, okay. I think the Scarlets, and, and, and look, that's, that's all the rage at the moment is, God, let's get Stephen Jones in there. The way that Scarlets are playing is exactly how we kind of want to see Wales play. Like it's, it's different because they're, they've been, they've kind of taken a year to get there. They they didn't, they started quite slowly last year and obviously went second half of the season. They were they were excellent winning the, the top, the pro 12 title last year out in, out in Dublin was, was an incredible achievement and playing at the rugby they did definitely got them there kind of an expansive game where they keep a lot of ball play with a huge amount of width um, but look they've got the players that can do it now Wales is a bit different and the coaches they've had with the, the tried and tested methods that they've used over a number of years with Gatlin Howley and Edwards have been very successful so it's, I know they've tried to change a little bit um, but that's been a different difficult year obviously with Warren being away with the Lions uh, now with the Scarlets I was surprised with the centre partnership they went with because Hadley Parks has, has been so instrumental for them this year. He's kind of their, their go-to man. He's such a, um, a big player for them in defence and attack. Does the simple things really well. And actually, Scott Williams hasn't played a huge amount, so for him to, to play on, on the weekend, I was slightly surprised considering he, I know he's an international player, but I said Hadley Parks has been, been brilliant for them. But I think the second half, like the way they do play, Scott Williams is a bit more of a ball player. Uh, um, I think he's, he can carry the ball as well. as like John Fox is was was incredible in the summer for the Lions and, and has kind of carried that form um, to start of the season with Reese Patchell really picking up some good form to start of the season as well. Hi Nicky, it's Craig Chalmers here, how are you doing? Good evening Craig. I, yeah, I was going to ask you about Reese Patchell, he's getting a lot of rave reviews at the moment down in Wales by the way he's playing. Is he a real challenger for the 10 shirt for the autumn tests? Will he be in that squad to challenge Bigger and Sam James? Yeah, I think he... Um, He's played really well this year. He he had a bit of a um, he had a poor kicking game um, last week where against the Ospreys where he, he missed kind of four really get like gettable kicks in his kind of red zone that you dis- disappointed with. Um, but apart from that, actually attack wise, he's been really good. Um, I still think bigger would would be number one. But Sam Davis hasn't been playing particularly well this year, uh, especially the Ospreys have been have been struggling. Um, and he hasn't really found much form yet. So I think Patchell was would definitely be, be number two, and Owen Williams uh, has been injured as well at Gloucester. So look, I think I'd be very surprised if Patchell isn't in the squad. Like there, there's plenty of chat, and there's plenty of kind of pundits who think Patchell would be a, a good twelve because um, he's quite physical. He's got and that, that having that kind of second ball player. Now with the Scarlets, with the three centres they've got with Williams, Davis, and and Hadley Parks, he's, he's not going to look in there. And obviously, that they wanted to play 10, and he said he wants to play 10. But like a, a bigger patchel 10-12 would be something that would kind of excite me. Now, whether he wants to do that or not, I'm sure if he got the opportunity to play for Wales at 12, he, he wouldn't turn that down. But like his form has, has been very good. He's a very talented player, and 
there's a Cardiff boy. I was disappointed to see him leave the Blues uh, to go to the Scarlets, but he seems to have kicked on really well. He's a, he's a really good professional. He's working really well with Lee Halfpenny on his goal kick. I think it's a kind of last man on the pitch who can kind of floodlights are switched off and the sales both out there kicking that's kind of the dedication he's got so he really works hard at his game and is, that, that's definitely coming through at the moment now, What are we to make of of Ospreys because when you look on the team sheet you've got very significant uh, names and experienced players Lydia had an, and well, Tipperick had an outstanding uh, game in a, in a losing side but just not, not clicking and, and to me never really uh, you know, I don't think uh, Claremont played particularly well, but you know, Ospreys were never really. I didn't think, you know, that 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 near them. No, no, agreed. They finished the season really poorly last year, last season, and then they've kind of carried that on this year. That they haven't got anything going at all yet. Um, they were poor against the Scarlets a couple of weeks ago. They had a huge amount of possession and only just lost the game. But that didn't reflect kind of how poor they were. And, uh, it's the attack that they're really struggling to find any shape. They're, they're not really crossing the game line. In fact, they were really unlucky on the weekend because Dan Baker, who was probably one of their first forwards this year to really give them some decent go-forward, had a really nasty injury and had to go off yesterday. So that was a, a, a big loss for them. But they just can't get that go-forward. And then they seem to be... I think they're trying to change a bit of their shape there. I know Griff Reese, their attack coach, has been announced that he, he possibly won't be there next year. Um, but they just... I think they're struggling to find out what kind of way they want to play against the Scarlets. They reverted uh, to being really physical, kind of one-out rugby, which kind of got them a bit of go forward, but they didn't quite know what to do off the back of that. They lost Josh Matavesi, who's gone to Newcastle, and I think he's kind of left a bit of a, of a void there. He was such a key player where Bigger could just release it to, to Matavesi, who could then play a lot of the things off the cuff and give them a bit of width, bringing kind of Dan Evans, Keelan Giles into the game really well, and um, they just they just haven't got anything going yet. But saying that, that they had a great opportunity to pick up what would have been a, a famous win against against Claremont. But I agree, apart from the first twenty minutes, Claremont probably kind of thought they'd won the game after that and just kind of sat back. So it was it was a funny game because you thought that that Claremont would easily pick up a bonus point. But Ospreys did stick in there. All credit to them. And I know Steve Tandy's working really hard. They're well respected by the players. And, it's not helping when your your first choice nine and ten have both said that they're leaving at the end of the season. So um, it probably hasn't helped them at the moment. But they look they've got a strong squad. They're um, they're a good foundation. There's some good young players there. They just just need to kind of dig in there and and hope that they could ride out this this poor bit of form and and find something a win from somewhere which would kind of ignite their season a bit and give them a bit of confidence. I totally agree with you, Nicky. I think about Matavesi. I think he was a big, a big cog in that midfield and really important. Um, I quite like to look at Dan Evans though as well. Dan Evans at fullback has scored scored two tries and you know looked pretty useful. I've not seen much of him, but from, from what I saw on Saturday, he, he looks like a decent player. Look, he's been one of the most consistent players for a number of years now at fullback. He's got a really reliable left peg, good in defence, and like he might not look the quickest, but he just. I think he's deceptively quick. He, he makes really good breaks. He reads the game really well. Um, and look, I think plenty of people have been talking about him in the kind of should be involved with Wales for a number of years and just uh, his face doesn't seem to fit. So he doesn't get much of a look in. But, but look, he, he's such a good natural footballer. And again, he's one of these players that's been so influential for them and probably doesn't get the, the plaudits that some of the other bigger players do. But he's, he's so good. And, and obviously, Picked up the try yesterday and, and and is very reliable. So he's like he's someone that they're so key to them and someone they'll need to keep 
especially with the kind of your Webb and Bigger who, who are looking to, to go elsewhere next year. Uh, Nicky, bef- before you go, a couple of uh, more general points pertaining to Wales. What do you think of the revision, well, the total overhaul of, of Gatlin's law to the, uh, similar to the Australian model, um, 60 caps before uh, you can go abroad and still be selected for Wales? Do you think that's a, a, a good idea? Like it, it, it's slightly difficult for me because I was a Welsh runner that left to go to to England. So I've got to be careful how how I put this, but um, I knew something that I wanted to do, and um, and I don't regret at all. I didn't play any more rugby for Wales once I did leave. So, um, but that might be down to me rather rather than anything else. But um, like I think I think as I'm now actually now coaching back in Wales, and and you want to see that your best player, your Welsh players, playing in Wales and make our regional teams as strong as we can be we've been disappointed that we're not um, kind of uh, competing at a European level consistently um, and we, to do that we obviously we, we haven't got the, the finances to bring in foreign players of a high enough quality so you need to keep your best Welsh players here um, and obviously but you can see why someone like uh, Dan Bigger or Reese Webb would like to go elsewhere and experience that and it's hard to stop that but there's got to, you've got to try and find a balance and um, like I know that with bigger, as long as he stays injury free, he'll pick up another I think four caps he needs to get to six in. He's fine. But Reese Webb has already come out today and said how bitterly disappointed he is because when he signed his contract, he thought he would still uh, be able to play under the what was it, the Gatlin's law that no one really understood. But <laughs> but he he would possibly be good enough to is one of his things a fourth selection he could get of um, of playing outside of, of Wales. So. Um, they had to do something to try and change it because it didn't seem to work. And, and I think I don't think we've got enough strength and depth to say every, if you want to play for Wales, you have to play for Wales. I think you do that and you start losing players because of the financial gains and the, the lifestyle choices of going abroad. Then you could end up with a, with a, a definitely a weakened international side, as we've seen with South Africa and, and the damage that's done to their national side. Um, and just finally, um, the search for Warren Gatlin's successor uh, appears to have thrown up three names uh, and apparently Rob Howley's not one of them. Have you got any inside trackers of who they are? No, I'm very surprised in Wales there's, a, there's normally plenty of whispers going around yeah. of who they are. It's not, not whispers, <laughs> everybody yeah. knows yeah. by now, doesn't they? Especially we're not in November, but if they're going to hold out till the new year on who these, play, who these names are, I'd be very surprised because there's normally plenty around. I'm a little surprised at how he's not in that, or they've announced that so early because that was the chat last year of, of, of how and how he took over while Gatlin was with the Lions. It was a bit of a, a trial run for him, and there were decent wins within that. But to come out now and say he's not that, um, be interesting to see what, what his kind of plans are as well with that. Um, but I thought that he was he would be a natural successor. But I think there's, there'd be plenty of criticism. Um, if that was the case um, with Howley taking over, but but unfortunately no inside track as yet. But the feelers will go out and, and we'll find out some whispers that probably aren't anywhere near the truth. But we'll go with them until they're, they're announced, I guess. As everyone it, else, it, it looks um, you know to me from the outside that with Howley being ruled out, it's inevitably going to be uh, you know someone uh, you know a foreign coach. Does that uh, yeah bode yeah, well? Bad? Have you opinion yeah. on that? Yeah, look, I think. I mean, if you're thinking of a Welshman to take over, the obvious choice would be someone like Di Young, um, who's who's done obviously a great job at Wasp. But then, whether he was asked and and thought, and, and I, I had a conversation with Di around a few years ago at Wasp, 
he, I think he said he'd never ever take the half shot because I think it's <laughs> the pressure of, of of that job, especially as a Welshman living in Wales, a gap then gets to to go back home to New Zealand when we're out of competition, gets away from it. I think living in Wales, trying to coach a national side is a, is a huge amount of pressure. He's probably enjoying what he's doing at Watson, and I think he's got a, a bit of unfinished business there. So he would be someone that, that sticks out. But apart from that, then. Um, you kind of struggling someone to really take over and, and take Wales forward. So I'm not surprised it, it's, uh, it's a foreign name that they'll be mentioned, kind of high caliber. I know, uh, I know that there were names like Joe Schmidt were mentioned because I know he's leaving Ireland, isn't he? There was that one. There's Wayne Smith who was who was banded around as, as someone else that could take over. So I think they've been obviously Gatlin's been. Uh, you'd have to say quite a large success coming in and taking over. Um, that, that, that there's no reason why they'd go against another foreigner taking over. Well, Nicky, thank you very much. Um, uh, you, you never know, one day it could be you. I, I very much doubt it. I'm watching <laughs> someone play golf and thinking that's a lot better in his spare time, isn't it, than dealing with all the stress of that. But thanks a lot, guys. Good to chat. Good Cheers. man, thank you. Cheers, bye bye. Uh, interesting to get the various perspectives, you know, different nationalities and so on. And I think they've all been very, you know, realistic about their. And that's what I like about the, you know, the, the contributions we've had on tonight. They've been very realistic um, uh, about the uh, performances um, you know, of their you know, club sides. Um, time now to move to the women's game. There weren't any uh, Tyrrell's Super 15 fixtures this weekend, but it was an important announcement, and I'm uh, pleased we can discuss it with the legendary Saracens and England flanker Maggie Alfonso. Hello, Maggie. Hello, Brian. Now then, there was a rumour that uh, with the Barbarians forming a women's uh, team, uh, and, you know, it's about time, frankly, um, that you might come out of retirement for this. Any substance to that? Um, Yes, I got approached um, to to potentially play in that first fixture, unfortunately unavailable, but um, I am definitely keen on if the opportunity comes up for future fixtures to uh, yeah come out of retirement why not I'm, I'm still fit I still could play rugby if I wanted to um, obviously my time at international uh, level has stopped but uh, look a barbarians opportunity I think any player would not want to turn down something like that if they're available so uh, yeah I'm, I'm not going to deny the fact that if it does come around um, potentially next season I, I would love to jump at the, the chance you're going to have to pull your finger out to get in front of Marley Packer <laughs> yeah, she's a decent player. Um, the thing is that she's still playing international England stuff, and so might not be given the uh, the availability where look, oh, I'm ready to go. So uh, let's see. It, it, who knows? Um, she's a good player, and I'd love to play alongside her again. Actually, hey Maggie, it's Craig Chalmers here. How are you doing? Hey Craig, good to hear from you. Listen, the Barbarians is one of one of my best experiences throughout my career. I played a few times for them over the years, and it was great to meet the players from the other nations because um, in those days there was no cross-border competitions so that's the only time you got to meet them outside the internationals um, so I think it's fantastic that it's been that's been brought in for, for, for the girls as well M- my sister who played obviously years ago she yeah, played yeah. she played in the Lionesses I'm sure she played in the Lionesses game years ago against maybe New Zealand or is, is that is that something that they that they might uh, look at in the future as well? Yeah I know that's been um, talked about uh, a potential Lions women's squad been set up. Um, uh, you're right. Previously, there was uh, a Lions, Lionesses women's team, um, and I think they used to play against New Zealand and, and potentially, I think, USA as well. Um, but I 
what their plan is is that if it does happen, obviously the aim will be for that to be official and it to have a real selection process. I think having the barbarians though is a really good start. The, the barbarian setup is is fully supporting it. You know, um, the fact that we've got the, the men's um, fixture taking place against Tonga the day after um, the women's fixture just highlights the fact that it's a, it's a real joint up process. Uh, look, I'd love to see the Lions. Um, Lions teams be uh, set up in the future. I don't know if it's ready yet. Uh, England are really ready to go. I think they've got players who could potentially play in a, a Lions squad. I just think across all nations, I don't know if it, it, it'll be a structure that will be sustainable and whether there's any real teams that the Lions squad can play against at the moment. They could play against New Zealand. Um, Australia still not really have 100% support in their 15s game um, and South Africa aren't always uh, I guess supporting the 15 structure either so Lions could be something in the future it's just whether it gets sustainability in terms of the team they play against really Maggie what do you think of the opening rounds of Darrell's uh, Premier 15s uh, look, it's absolutely brilliant I think what's been great is the start of the season has you've seen some really good fixtures you've seen some close games um, the standard of the rugby's been of a high quality the fact that we've gone from you know last season eight teams playing in this in this premiership, which was wasn't really um, officially uh, I guess structured, where now we've got a big sponsor. There's ten teams now. Um, there's a lot of funding put into it. It's been run by the, the Rugby Football Union, and you know all those World Cup players who competed in the World Cup are now um, obviously back at playing at club. So it's just been really good. I've been really impressed with it. It's similar to the, you know, the men set up when you think the, the early stages of the, of the premiership is always interesting to see who's put the hard work in over the off-season and, and what talented players have come back and are still on form. And in the women's game, it's been the same. You know, Teams like Saracens are performing really well. Harlequins women. That's a point. Really Did anyone well. expect Harlequins? I know they've had the tight with Ellsford Bulls and a lot of players come over. Did anyone expect them to make the market top of the league at the moment? I know. Um, I think everyone knew they were going to be good starting this season just because, of, again, the good financial support. Uh, the Harlequins men are, are fully behind them. And um, you know, you've got a very good coach with Gary Street, who was the England women's head coach during the World Cup in 2014. So we always knew they were going to have a good start. I think we were more intrigued by how other teams were going to do against them like your WASPs who have um, their, head, their head coach is a lady called Giselle Mavers who's also the Barbarians coach so we thought that you know WASPs would, would offer a lot of challenge um, Saracens and these new teams like Gloucester Hartbury have just come, come into the premiership as well uh, and Loughborough Lightning and so we, no, no one was quite sure about how they were going to do and they've, they've put up a really good fight but I think Harlequins have definitely showed how good they are and the, the quality of talented players they have in their squad Do you think uh, it's desirable to get women coaches into position uh, as quickly as you can or is it preferable for them to do their time and demonstrate that they you know have got the capabilities it's interesting you know Giselle Mavis in particular in terms of a coach she's got um, she's got a level four very highly qualified coach has been working in the uh, worked for London Irish actually with their academy men's setup so um, I think in terms of getting quality players sorry quality coaches in it's, it's very important that you know we, we develop them, get them in the get the correct qualification for them, and then give them opportunities to, to work with some of those top top teams. Um, I think we need more of them out there uh, at the moment. We're still we're still probably limited, and I, I think there's opportunities for those coaches to work with some really good teams within the women's Premiership, um, but also be involved in the men's setup as well. So I think it's all about 
giving those women opportunities, but also getting those qualifications and, and, interest, and giving that interest for those women who have probably retired from playing to get back into the game mm-hmm. um, and be involved as a coach. Maggie, thank you very much. Look forward to seeing the famous black and white strip. <laughs> thank you. Craig, um, looking forward to the, uh, the next round of the Champions Cup, which of the fixtures stands out for you? Oh, jeez. <clears throat> for me, as a Scotsman, I think it's going to be Glasgow. I think Glasgow-Leinster's a massive game for, for them. And Glasgow have gone so well so far in the top in the, in the Pro 14. Uh, Leinster, fantastic result last weekend. That's a that's one, one that could go either way um, for me. I okay. think also munster Racing. Ronan O'Gara going back to going back to Thomond Park or I think it's is it Thomond Park they call it? Yeah, I, yes it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I, I'll tell you just for me to round off um, a couple of others for um, desperation stakes in a sense. <laughs> Wasp Quins, you know, if the loser of that is he's probably out. Um, they're historic rivals, so that that's a big game there. But I think also the Montpellier Exeter one because Exeter. Need now they've been, they've had four years you know on this level now they need as a squad just to give themselves the confidence and to uh, cement the undoubted achievements they've had in the domestic game to make some progress in Europe and show you know what they can do and Montpellier they're a, you know they're a big side they've got a lot of quality if they manage to uh, you know be consistent and they'll be hurting because they and they need they need to win uh, I think if Exeter were to go there, the Chiefs go there and register a win, that would put a significant marker down, you know, that they are the quality team that we know they are in England, it would give them a European uh, perspective. Yeah, they're not the, Exeter are not the finished article yet, but they're, they're heading that way and, you know, Rob Baxter's a magnificent job down there um, at Sandy Park, but I think Montpellier will be a tough team to beat be t- I think maybe Aaron Cruden might be back as well to direct things at fly half. So, you know, they've got some real quality of quality players, but the the attitude and the spirit and the you know, just just the whole thing about Exeter, the way it's been built up over the years. I remember remember playing against them in the in the National One when I was at Worcester, <laughs> and uh, that was the most horrible place to go. We used to play at their old ground. It was a little dog track, I think it was. But you know, where they've come from and where they are now, um, they're now fighting it out with the top elite clubs in Europe, and you know. They could nick that one if they go there with the right, which will go there with the right attitude. But they could go there, and if they get Montpellier an off day, overconfident, then they could cause an upset. Well, we shall see, and uh, I think in general, all we can hope for is that the second round of the fixtures matches the quality and excitement of the first one. That's all we've got time for. You've been listening to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with the Telegraph. Thank you very much to my co-host Craig Chalmers and once again my producer Abby Patterson. Remember, please subscribe to the podcast because it's completely free and that way you'll never miss an episode. We'll be back next week, but for now, goodbye. Brian Moore's Full Contact is just one part of the Telegraph Sport podcast family as you can also subscribe and download Total Football. Join Tom Gibbs and a host of Telegraph football reporters as they aim to take you behind the football stories of the weekend. Your Monday morning commutes will be instantly better for it.